Amen, amen. Would you have a seat? And join me, if you have a Bible, would you turn or swipe to Matthew chapter 11? Thank you, Kelly and worship team, for leading us so well. It's so good to be God's people together. Amen? Amen. Thanks for hopping on our live stream. I hope you stick with us because we are going to be exploring our five core practices here at the Neighborhood Church. We do this at the beginning of every new year since we've been the Neighborhood Church going on five years. And the reason we explore these is because our faith, the Christian faith, is not simply meant to be believed, it's also meant to be lived. So in our church, we confess the classic Christian creeds that have guided the central nugget of what the Christian faith is all about. And we also believe these core convictions that kind of give some shape to our thinking, but the most essential piece of what it means to be the neighborhood church would be these five core practices. You see them here in these icons made by our own Aaron Stone a few years back. And the first and foremost of our core practices would be number one, to follow Jesus. I'll give you a guess as to which icon it is there highlighted now. This is really the centerpiece of everything that we are about as the neighborhood church. And what's interesting is that in the Gospels, Jesus never asks anyone to worship him. Do you believe that? Jesus never says, worship me. But instead, you find repeatedly Jesus asking people to follow him. Now, we just sang a bunch of songs and prayed and worshiped to Jesus. So please understand, dear people, I'm not saying don't worship Jesus. I'm saying it's instructive for us to understand that Jesus, when he was living and walking amongst these ordinary people in Galilee, he was inviting them to follow him. Well, what does it mean to follow him? Well, let's paraphrase the late, great Dallas Willard to look at what we mean with our first core practice of following Jesus. Do you see this here? We commit to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live like Jesus in our everyday life. So as Jesus is going about Galilee, and then later in Jerusalem, and all throughout this region 2,000 years ago, he's inviting people to be with him so that they can spend time seeing his life, hearing his words, sitting with him in his presence so that they can learn his way, learn his demeanor. And then Jesus does something really crazy is he says, okay, you go try. You go try to speak blessings and good news and also demonstrate what the reign of God looks like as you heal and feed and teach others. Let me put it to you a different way. 
It's the reason that Emma Grace, my oldest daughter, eats baked Cheetos, one of my favorite snacks, out of a cup. Because she's been with me living in my house, so she's seen her father and learned his ways. And what she's learned is that if you put the baked Cheetos in a cup and eat them like this in a drinking motion, you learn that you don't get the orange dust on your fingers. And then this wise young nine-year-old can snack like her father in her everyday life. You begin to take on the rhythms of the person you're spending time with and learning their ways. This is why it's so essential that we commit to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live like Jesus in our everyday life. Much more important than snacking is it to show a watching world what forgiveness and generosity and sacrifice and righteousness and justice looks like. We must start here because the truth is that so many Christians look so unlike Christ in our world today. It is a glaring disparity of the people who profess Christ and believe, but they don't live accordingly. The things that they care about look like a far cry from what Jesus was really living and teaching. And I believe that we see so much of this because there's a breakdown at some point here in this practice. And I would probably tell you it's mostly about being with. I think most of the problem is that we never really sit with Jesus to surrender and to be still and to pray and to hear from and to then actually take his words and his ways into the deepest parts of us so that we might learn to lay aside our own wishes and wants and then to take on his way and to live like him. Tonight is why we're going to then hear the clear invitation that cuts through all of the distortion, all of the misunderstanding, all of, watch, the overcomplications, to simply hear an invitation to just come and be with me. Then learn my way so that you might go and image me, live like me, to bring more and more of the reign of God to bear in our everyday life, in our broken world. It all starts here. It all starts here. We don't get to core practice two, three, four, five without getting the first. So let's hear Jesus' clear invitation. But first, we're going to hear in Matthew chapter 11... A strange prayer that Jesus prays. So I want to unpack and illustrate why Jesus prays this prayer. Because he's trying to cut through a lot of overcomplication and a lot of misunderstanding. Before we get to the clear invitation for you and I tonight. Join me in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise 
and learned and revealed them to little children. Let's pause there. That would be the words and works of the kingdom of God. Jesus has just pronounced these woes on people who have seen the reign of God breaking through in the healing and the power, and they say, nah. So Jesus is frustrated, and he prays this strange prayer, and he says, okay, what more can you see? It's hidden from their sight, but instead God has revealed these things to people who are open enough to be with, to learn from, to live like. Verse 26. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then these familiar words to many of you in verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to read that last invitation one more time because I want you to listen with the ears of your heart. And I want you to hear a word or phrase that if you hear nothing else might resonate with you and highlight something that God has for you. I want you to listen intently with the ears of your heart again. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. Well, sometime over the break, Amy and I caught an episode of some random new network sitcom, and it starred Topher Grace. Y'all know who Topher Grace is? He was probably most famous for his role in that 70s show. Topher Grace is in this network sitcom, and in this particular episode, one of his brothers got tickets to a luxury suite for a San Francisco 49ers football game. But the trick is, he only has two extra tickets, so then there's a fight for who's going to go with him. Well, Topher Grace's character ends up muscling his way in, but the irony is that he doesn't know anything about football. I told you this is a network sitcom, right? So, of course... As they're approaching the stadium, you hear Topher Grace kind of spitting out random factoids and information. And finally, one of the characters is like, dude, did you really just Wikipedia football and cram all these facts? And he's trying to downplay it, but of course that's what happened. It'd be like if we invited one of these two to a football game. And they know they're going to a luxury suite. 
So they at least want to kind of make good and put on that, hey, I deserve to be here, right? Well, they make their way up to the luxury suite. The rich brother that got the tickets, another one of the family members, and then Topher Grace. And they're milling around with all the other movers and groovers within the 49ers elite and organization. Until they look over and realize that Topher Grace's character, who only has a Wikipedia knowledge of the game, is small talking with someone. And what he's saying is more of these factoids and more of this silly kind of textbook information. But they watch in horror because of who he's speaking to. He's speaking unknowingly to Jerry Rice. Let me translate this for you too. Jerry Rice is considered to be the greatest wide receiver. That's the one who runs out and catches the ball of all time. He's a Hall of Famer. He was on Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) No, still? So just imagine Topher Grace's character explaining what a first down is, trying to sound credible, To the man who is literally the record holder for most career receiving yards ever. This man has 22-something thousand yards, and this guy is being like, well, the first down is when you, I don't know if you know this, but if you move 10 yards and you get a fresh set of downs. Imagine this person explaining a two-point conversion. And that a touchdown is actually worth, how many points is it worth? Six. To the man who has scored more receiving touchdowns than anyone else who's ever played the game. Jerry Rice is sitting there nodding and being polite as this guy is trying to explain all the little facts, not realizing that he's discussing fundamentals with a literal legend right in front of him. Then you can begin to unpack and understand something of what is going on in Matthew chapter 11 and why Jesus is so frustrated by it. Jesus is the kingdom of God in person, as the church father origin says, literally walking around declaring good news that God has come to reign and demonstrating it with the healing power and presence of the reign of God in their midst. And they're walking up to him saying, do you know what a two-point conversion is? They walk up to Jesus and they say, you don't know the Father. And then Jesus prays this strange prayer that says, actually, You don't know the Father because the Father knows who the Son is and the Son knows who the Father is and you don't realize the legend, the kingdom, the myth, the long hope for Messiah is standing right in front of your face but you have missed the forest for the trees. You've been so fixated on your own understanding of the law and the Wikipedia page that you miss the literal reign of God in front of your face. Now imagine, the sitcom kind of left it there, but now imagine that Jerry Rice finally just said, enough, man. I am inviting you to come down to the field with me. Let me show you. You've read some facts. You know some ideas. 
I'm offering you to come down here with me. Do you want to learn to play the game? Now imagine that Topher Grace's character abides and says, sure. And he obliges him down to the field. And he begins to take his textbook knowledge out of theory and into practice. But now imagine this. As Jerry Rice shows him the footwork and how to jump off of the line of scrimmage or how to run a route, imagine that pretty quickly Topher Grace's character says, no, that's not how you do it. No, I'm pretty sure that I know how to do it because I read this here and I read that there. Then you can start to fill in the broader story that the Gospels are telling as to why Jesus continually runs up against controversy with these religious leaders and scribes who have given their whole life to the cramming and studying of the Torah, which is the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. They just called God's Word. And those first five books, the Torah, were all the rules and regulations and the fundamental stories of the fathers who have shown us how to live God's way. Imagine Jesus taking them and saying, do you see these poor outcasts? Let me show you the Torah in practice. And they say, no, that's not how you do it. And then Jesus says, Look, let me show you the neighbors I want you to love, the tax collector, the sinner. And they say, no, I've read over here. I'm pretty sure that's not how you play the game. Then you're beginning to see why page after page of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which could very well be our Torah as Christians to show us how to live God's way, You can see now why on every page we have this controversy because the legend is standing there right in their midst inviting them to the playing field to come and see and the irony is that the experts of God completely miss God in the process. Now can we see are there experts of Jesus and the Jesus way that can completely miss Jesus and his way today? Shake your heads, yes. This is why it's so vital that Jesus finally starts to look around and see the people start to come out of the cheap seats and they say, we'll try to play. And Jesus says, Awesome. Let's do it. Meanwhile, the Topher Graces of the world are over here left in the dust, throwing a pity party because the reign of God in their midst is starting to work its way out and he's starting to invite others from the cheap seats. Then we begin to see why Jesus' invitation was so radical and so clear that even the ordinary folks are willing to give it a try. Because the ordinary folks are the ones who are wise enough to know that there's something different about this Jesus. And I want to go to him and learn 
what it is. In Jesus' day, there was this religious renewal movement of devout Jewish men that we know as the Pharisees. Show of hands if you've heard of the Pharisees. Yes, yes, yes. They're major players in the stories of Jesus. Do you understand that the Pharisees were not like a special designation or class of people? It was more of an ideology that different synagogue leaders or different legal experts or different scribes would kind of subscribe to. So it would be like, I am... Uh, I'm a proponent of this theology. I am this kind of person. That's what the Pharisees were. So they would come from different parts of Jewish life, but they were people that ascribed to this fundamental idea that the kingdom of God would come through the personal piety of all the people they could get to follow in their way. You with me so far? So the Pharisees believed they could usher in the kingdom through personal piety. So what they would often tell the ordinary folk in the cheap seats is, let's come play the game, but here's how you do it. They said this, carry the yoke of Torah. Do you know what I mean when we say yoke? I haven't farmed it all this week, but many of us still have a working understanding that a yoke is the thing that goes over the shoulders that unites and links beasts of burden so that they may carry forward what's needed to plow the field. So when they say carry the yoke of Torah... They're asking all the people in the cheap seats, come play our way, come play our game. We are the most pious and knowledgeable and learned individuals. So put this on your shoulders and start walking so that the kingdom of God might come. Now, Jesus' message to these Pharisees and the scribes and legal experts looking up the Wikipedia page and showing them how to play the game, was found in Luke chapter 11, verse 46. It's not going to be on the screen, so I want you to listen to this carefully. This is what Jesus says to these guys. You experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Jesus says, let me tell you about your bumper sticker that says, carry the weight of Torah. They might be carrying the weight of Torah, but you went ahead and threw some more weight on top of it. And let me tell you another thing. The more that you add to their burden, the more you distance yourself from the ordinary folks who actually need to hear good news. And by the way, when you load them down with all of that weight, you won't actually walk with them. You won't actually lift one finger to help the ordinary people play the game. So Jesus then calls those ordinary folks willing to carry the yoke of his way and find rest 
and a leader who's gentle and someone who's humble in heart. Because the thing about the Pharisees is they looked more like a drill sergeant pointing a finger down, yet not lifting a finger to help them carry the weighty load of walking and living in an earth that is broken and beset with struggles. So when Jesus says, come to me and carry my yoke, for it is light and the burden is light, And I am less like a drill sergeant and more like one who will walk with you. And what's remarkable about Jesus' yoke is you might be tempted to say, oh, well, he must have just tore up the Torah and thrown it aside. But what's remarkable about Jesus' Torah, which you can read in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. I read it yesterday, stem to stern, and I would encourage you to join me in reading it this week. It's wild. And if we chose to live it with Jesus walking beside us, I think our city and our world and our family would look markedly different. But what's remarkable about the Sermon on the Mount is that the way of Jesus doesn't throw the Torah aside What he does is he whittles it down and centralizes it to basically get us to a point where we stop feeling weighed down with every little nook and cranny, jot and tittle, and he whittles it down to say, look, your insides need to match your outsides. And he pronounces this way livable to the poor in spirit, to the meek, to the downtrodden, to those who are merciful and hungry and thirsty for righteousness. So he says it's livable for even you ordinary folk. I believe that even something as dramatic as the Sermon on the Mount, the way of Jesus is livable and within reach. Because Jesus is alive and within reach. Unlike the scribes and experts of the law who won't lift a finger to help you carry the 613 laws of Torah, Jesus says, just walk with me. It's livable. The Sermon on the Mount is for you who are poor in spirit. You who are weary and burned out by religion and never feeling good enough. You who are so sick of religious leaders putting the spiritual life so high on the shelf that you can never measure up to be this kind of husband or this kind of wife or this kind of um, uh, Christian, this kind of servant. You'll never prosper in your work. It's always just out of reach. Jesus says, you come. It's livable. Everything that Jesus asks, he gives us the power to live. But only those wise enough to realize they don't have everything figured out understand this. Which is why the Pharisees will continue to carry the yoke of Torah and why people today will carry the yoke of all the Christianese and all the self-righteous ways to separate us and them, and we've missed the one who wants to yoke with us, who's gentle 
and humble in heart. What if the way of Jesus is actually deeper and simpler than many Christians have made it? The problem with the Pharisee movement and what Jesus is so annoyed by when it comes to Matthew chapter 11 is that they were so hung up on how to wash our hands and how to eat this and not that that Jesus starts going around and declaring all foods clean. And he starts having those who follow him Tell others, it's not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you. Does your insides match your outsides? That's what it means deeper. And what if it's deeper because it's not all up to you in your own effort? When Jesus tells those who follow him all the way to the bitter end in John 15, abide in me as I abide in you. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So what if the way of Jesus is deeper, which is to mean this, if you are taking notes, keeping conscious, constant contact with the source of your life and goodness. Because I have a terrible time forgiving myself and others, so if I remain and I'm with Jesus, maybe I can learn from Jesus how to forgive like Jesus. I'm pretty terrible at being generous and giving of my time and my money and my attention and my effort. But maybe if I'm present to the one who's always present to me, I can learn from him how to give of my time and energy and effort and stuff. Because I've seen the one who's given it all. Maybe it's deeper than trying to walk your way on your own or carry the load on your own. If you're weary and burned out and come to the end of your rope, great, there's more room for Jesus to walk with you. So this being with, to learn from, to live life is where everything starts from, but you've got to plant yourself and root yourself deeply on the vine from whom you draw your life and source and reality. There are 31,000 verses in our Bible, give or take. And by the way, the verses came as a later edition. Some monks tried to make it easier to do what I'm doing today. And so they added these to help us navigate these books. 31,000 verses, give or take, in the Bible. And somebody says, let's talk about biblical marriage. And you say, where do we start? 31,000 verses, give or take, and they want to talk about war. Where do you start? 31,000, give or take, verses, and they want to talk about compassion, mercy, justice. Where do you start? In our church, our first core conviction starts with Jesus. He is our teacher, example, and He is our authority. Because when Jesus gives his Torah and his yoke, he says, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Torah, and he says, but I say to you, let me simplify and deepen the law, not to eradicate it, but to elevate it. So what if, when Jesus is asked, what's the most important verse in all the Torah, what does he say? 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and also love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up what it means to live the Bible with love God with everything and love everyone. And the expert that had thrown a bunch of weighty stuff on other people said, well, who's my neighbor? And he tells them a story that basically the punchline is, even the one you hate the most. What if the way of Jesus is actually deeper keeping conscious, constant contact, aware of the one who is yoked to you and with you, and you can come to him with your weariness and your confusion and find rest and guidance in life to keep walking? And what if it's simpler to love God and love neighbor, to take his yoke and find out that the rest of it can be worked out? Because there may not be a verse in those 31,000 for what you're facing this week. But there is a Savior who's living and breathing and walking beside you. Christians get so hung up on some of these things, and we forget that we can eat shrimp. We're not under the Mosaic covenant and law anymore. It's actually much simpler than you realize. To love God with everything, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to follow Jesus as you blaze the path together. And may the yoke be easy and the burden light because you're walking together. This week we played a lot of skip bow. Have y'all played that card game, skip bow? Hallelujah, skip bow. Vons, if you're watching or listening, we learned it from you. We were with you and we learned from you how to play like you. And one of the ways that we played is the way the Vons taught us with teams. So we tried this on for size, the four of us in our family. It was me and Nora versus Amy and Emma. And let me tell you, it was a delight. <laughs> They're really good at games, legit. Nora beat me when we, she and I just played this week. She beat me twice. It's amazing. Except when we were playing teams, we find them furiously throwing down every card in the book. And the thing about this game, Skip Bow, is that you have multiple piles that you can play from. And when you play with another person, you get to play from their piles too. But how many times, girls, did mommy and daddy tell you what's the most important pile? More than five times? More than ten? More than ten times? I cannot tell you how many times we looked at them and said, what's the most important pile? It's the pile that when you deplete it, you win the game. And they made a game of playing every other card except the card that I needed, Nora. <laughs> I need you to understand, church, that we cannot love neighbor and we cannot grow disciples and we cannot create space for relationships and we cannot bring peace and play all of these cards and have all of these classes and all of these groups and have all of these service projects if we're missing the most important pile, the most important thing, the most important one, and that is to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. 
You cannot go and forgive and love and try to live if you haven't read one thing of his red letters in the New Testament and in the Gospels. You cannot expect to go and have a biblical marriage or a biblical whatever if you don't have the most important piece, the story to which it's all pointing, guiding and framing how to make sense of the whole thing. Because you can cherry pick a lot of the 31,000 verses and miss the one standing in front of you that's showing you how to play the game today. This is why we are always talking about Jesus. And so I love this quote from someone who always keeps the most important pile center. It's a man named Gregory Boyle who I've quoted before from the wonderful book, Tattoos on the Heart. He's a Catholic priest that started the largest gang intervention ministry in the world. This book is amazing. I cannot commend it to you enough. But today, I'll just quote from it. And he's going to help us keep the main thing the main thing. He says, it's about funneling ourselves into a central place. Our choice is not to focus on the narrow. Pause. All the other cards that are pretty and fun to work out and look at. Unpause. Our choice is not to focus on the narrow, but to narrow our focus. The gate that leads to life is not about restriction at all. It is about an entry into the expansive. Here's what he means. There is a vastness in knowing that you are a son or daughter worth having. We see our plenitude in God's own expansive view of us. And we marinate in this. Where are you funneling yourself, your attention, your actions? That's not the central piece of Jesus? How might you narrow your focus to what matters most in his life and way? How about this? How many of you just want to sit in that statement and dare to believe that God has an expansive view of you? And that you can see our plenitude, that you are enough, that you are worth it. Because in Jesus' strange prayer, he says, it's hidden from those who have it all figured out. But the children, the ones who are beginners at spirituality, the one who dare to believe that maybe it is true that God loves us, it's to those people that he reveals this intimate relationship with his father. And later Jesus will tell his followers, the ones who are crazy enough to follow him there. He says, by the way, as much as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. So marinate in that love. Make your home abide in that love. Remain in that love. Because you're going to get all these cards and all these facts that are going to distract you from the central thing, and that's you are yoked with Jesus, and you can walk through this insane world right now. You can walk through COVID. You can walk through sickness. You can walk through uncertainty and anxiety and depression. Not because it's going to be easy, 
but because the one who walks with you will make it lighter and freer because you realize you're walking the way together. And when the demands of Christ feel like demands and less like expansion of love, that's where you need to be with him again and learn from him because the yoke is easy and the burden is light, but only when you're walking with him. So what burden are you tired of carrying? What is keeping me from feeling at rest? What is Jesus, who is alive and within reach, teaching me about how to live freely and lightly in this bananas season? I can't give you the explicit answers right now. But I'm inviting you to sit every day this month. Because there's something that every world religion tells us about silence. And it cuts the noise and complications and gets us back to this rooted place of being in touch with reality. And we Christians would say, in touch with the very presence of God to bring clarity. So sit with him. And then I'm inviting you in our prayer cards this month to learn from him by engaging with the gospels and scripture to see the plays that have been run before and then pray that you would see more of his reign and life worked out in our everyday spaces and places. And I want to leave you finally with this image There's an envelope that's waiting for you if you look under your seat right now. I'm just kidding. It's not there. Because we don't have enough envelopes. Because every moment, every morning, every time you're at your wit's end and you're just going nuts, there's an envelope that slid under your door and you open it up and it's an invitation and it's Jesus again speaking through the ages inviting you to come to me. That's why we're about to sing this word so that you can hear it and you can open up this invitation again and, and you can dare to believe that we might become the most loving church in this city We might do amazing things in this city, but we're never going to do one thing if we're not being with Jesus to learn from him and to live like him. And it starts by receiving that invitation to come to him. And that's what we're going to do now together. So I'm going to invite the worship team if they will come as we pray and prepare to accept his invitation. God, we are so grateful that you have not left us as orphans, that we have Christ, our brother, and you as our father, and the spirit as comforter, advocate, the guide and breath to speak tenderly to us that we might hear the invitation of your beloved son, Jesus, inviting us to himself that we might find ourselves beloved 
also. Oh, that we would marinate in this, that we would narrow our focus because the world is competing for our attention. And I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the invitation that comes to us so clearly and cleanly through the ages that we might live it this week in our comings and goings because we walk the way together. We pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.